Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell. All right, so today I thought it would be good if we kind of picked up a, an old discussion we had several, a couple months ago about Sunday and keeping the Sabbath holy. Um, but in this case, I think it would be fun to talk more about the work part. A few months ago, we had an interview with a former colleague of mine, uh, an agricultural economist who was doing, uh, Terry, Terry Griffin, who was doing a paper on, you know, what it, what it means financially for farmers if they have their Sunday obligation yeah, and they work. It might be so pretty costly for them to give up right. that Sabbath day of getting in the field. Right. So I, I think th that was an interesting uh, conversation. I think I'm an update on that. Uh, he did get that paper published, so that's good for him, um, him and his co-authors. But I, I, I saw this video, and I'll put the video in the show notes just if anybody else wants to peruse it, but that really got me thinking about it again, and, and maybe we can dive into more on the, the work side, I thought. Um, and so just to kind of lead off the, the frame of this, the, the video talks about there being three types of work. And so if we step back for a second and we think about, you know, what, what, is the, what is the Christian Sabbath or what are we supposed to do on Sunday? Well, we're supposed to rest from our labor. We're supposed to pray, right? We're supposed to worship God that day. We're supposed to focus on that. Um, not that we're supposed to, you know, not pray on the other days, but, but that's the, right. the special task for Sunday. So it's sort of like, how do we think about this as, as human beings, you know, who live in the physical world, you know, how, how do we think about this? Well, the, the video distinguishes uh, three different types of work. There's common labor, which is just things that you kind of have to do every day. So you, you have to travel, you have some kind of uh, maybe a physical exertion for play or enjoyment or something like that. Maybe you paint, that sort of thing. And then, so, you know, it, re it requires to some degree, you know, physical exertion. You know, and just to be clear, this is the Catholic uh, yeah, this theology. Is, I think it's a Catholic theology. It was some sort of Catholic YouTube deal. A priest was giving a... Yeah, I, th I think it's a homily. homily yeah, I think yeah. it's a homily. But so uh, you have to... So we'll link that in the show notes. Yeah, uh, yeah I, check I, it out I think I mentioned that. Okay. But yeah, so to travel, you have to exert some type of energy to do that. There is uh, liberal work, which uh, I, I'm not... I'm not sure where the, the terms come from, but so liberal work is the, is sort of the work you do with your mind. So you uh, obviously prayer is one of those types of things, right? There's, there's sort of an effort put into praying, mental but it's, effort. right. It's, yeah. it's mental effort. And then, uh, so any kind of thing you have to do that has, requires mental effort is, is acceptable and common labor is as well. So you're, you're allowed to travel. Um, you know, obviously as a Catholic, you're, you're required to go to mass on Sundays. So of course you have to be able to travel to go to mass. Um, and then the third type of labor is, is what we call servile labor. That word comes from the Latin word for servant. And so the idea with servile labor, labor is the physical exertion, physical type of work that you have to do. What, what's important to think about here too is in, in this guy, this, um, this priest's conception of this thing and explaining the sort of Catholic perspective on this, it doesn't matter whether you get paid to do it or not. So it doesn't but matter. It seemed to imply that it was like, if you had servants, maybe 
they should have the day off or something, right? Right. I mean, he was sure. kind of implying that back in those days, whether it's right. maybe slave or servant or whatever. But. Yeah. And so the idea is that it's it's supposed to be a sort of a timeless conception, right? It doesn't it doesn't depend on our technological framework uh, or or customs like you know having servant. But yeah, whether you get paid to do uh, mental labor or not doesn't matter. You can do mental labor even if you're getting paid to do it. You can do it on on Sunday. Um, so that's now, not fair, really. The the white collar guys get. Uh, uh, they have to work, well, but the blue collar guys are well. They don't have to work. No, no. So th- I, I think this is the thing, right? <laughs> is that is you're supposed to avoid work as much as you can, and so of course it would be good for you to do even if like let's say you're like you and I, and you know almost all the work we do is mental work, at least the work we get paid for. So it would be good for us to avoid that as much as we can on Sundays, but it's permitted uh. <laughs> if if you need to do it. Um, and so that's another thing too, is if let's say you're a nurse and you have a lot of physical labor you have to do for your job, you know, obviously we can't just close all the hospitals on Sundays. So that would be an exception because it's a, a, a very necessary basic task. Um, and so, you know, there has to be some kind of termination of, you know, needs versus wants or something like that and in her too. But I think it was just, a, to me, it was an interesting distinction. These three categories, just sort of the idea that, whether you get paid to do that or not is irrelevant. So that's the other thing, just to bring up one last thing before I uh, turn it over to somebody else, but uh, you know, sort of mowing your lawn, right, is, is not really a mental task. It's, it's a physical task for, for most of us who have push mowers anyway. <laughs> so the idea would be, even though I'm not getting paid to do that, I really shouldn't do that. If I can avoid it, I really shouldn't mow my lawn on Sundays under this conception of things. Um, so I guess and I'll- he talks about gardening. Yeah, he talked about gardening, and, right, yeah. He also mentioned if, if somebody says, well, I think gardening, I find it to be relaxing mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Sure. But he was still digging his heels in in that video saying, no, you should really refrain from that as well. And I think part of his angle was making a sacrifice of some sort. So if you sure. did, for whatever those reasons might be, if, if you can put it off till tomorrow, do it was kind of yeah. or, or, just a bit. Or, you know, to, to think about it due to sacrifice or otherwise. Sure. Or to think about another, one of the seven deadly sins, right? Is don't be lazy, right? Don't do it. Don't put it off on Saturday for Sunday, right? Like if you could do it on Saturday, well, why not do it Saturday? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I guess that's why you have two days off on the weekend. (laughs) Well, okay. So I didn't like it. (laughs) Shocking. Shocking that the Lutheran did not like, you know, we're, we're about getting, getting some work done, but, um, so I, I did dig up Lutheran LCMS uh, cat, has small catechism and large catechism. So small catechism was really written for parents to talk to their children about God and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And what it means is we should fear and love God that we may not despise preaching his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So it was kind of just the setting aside that part of it is what Sabbath day, what that meant. Now, in the large catechism, uh, it's further explained that keeping the Sabbath is not done by a legalistic refraining from physical work, uh, like Jesus and the Pharisees on Sabbath, but that all things are made holy first and foremost by God's word. So the commandment to keep Sabbath is most about worship, hearing God's word and responding with praise. Physical rest is not unimportant, but that alone does not sanctify a day as the commandment demands. So I think there's a little bit of easing of not getting hung up. Probably one of my 
general pushbacks to some of the Catholic stuff is that oh, we're just we're getting too worried about what I do. What do I do next? Oh, is this? Well, it wasn't. The pipe was leaking. Yeah, but was it leaking enough? Could we have put a bucket under it and waited till Monday to to mm-hmm. fix it? Or or was it really bursting? You know, it's like you get into this deep dark cavern of worry. Um, and so I, I think what I find refreshing about the, the Lutheran perspective is let's not worry about that as much. Let's keep the focus on the word and yes, hold it sacred. I, I, I hope it's not downplaying it because we still surely believe in that, but I think it's a different take on it than getting too worked up about what I'm doing. It seems like a lot of the Catholic focus again is focusing towards you. What can I do? What what should I do rather than looking at what I can do for somebody else perhaps, which might involve some physical work on a Sunday, just to bring yeah. one little example. Well, so I, I, Mowing your neighbor's lawn, for instance. I, yeah. I can't imagine that being anti-Christian on a Sunday. Mm. But Well, I think, I think there's a few things to say. So first of all, I think obviously there is, there is problem of being, uh, of being too caught up in, uh, you know, the specifics of everything and that sort of thing. And yeah, sure. That can be a problem, but I think that that is easily solved. If you, if you just build your life around your faith instead of the other way around. So like if, if people were learning about their faith every day from childhood on, mm-hmm. you would build the right culture and you wouldn't, I mean, like, it's, it's not as if people are literally afraid that, you know, the bucket and, and the pipe and stuff like this. Well, that's because we, we just live our lives that way, right? And so I, I think that's just a testament to how crappy real life is, is that we're not building our lives around our faith. We're, yeah. we're doing it the other way around. We're just sort of ramming an hour in there on Sundays. And so then, of course, it's, it's, it's such a mental task to try to keep up with all this stuff. But if our habits were just established properly in the first place, yeah. it wouldn't be so hard. And then the second thing to say is I think, I think that has something to do with very different conceptions of the concepts of sacrifice and, and mortification of the body between perhaps Protestants in general, Lutherans, I don't, I don't really know, but it, it's good for your neighbor to, uh, if you mow the lawn for them, okay, but why didn't you do it Saturday, Right. I mean, it's, it's just one of these things like, you know, we can, we can take any specific example and just ask another question. And, and so the point is, is what's more important, right? The, the physical world, the, the, the neatness of your lawn, or, I mean, we're caught up in mowing, I don't know why, but you know, whatever, like the, the, the particulars of, of the life we live right now or your soul. Right. Yeah. And, and so then I think the next step to explaining this divide, I think we have here is, is just that. Catholics have this concept of venial versus mortal sin. And I don't think, I mean, I think maybe Luther kept that distinction. I'm not sure. No, no, it's not but, kept. But sin, I mean, I mean, 500 years ago. A sin is a sin and any sin right. can be forgiven. Whereas I think the mortal ones, you're in deep doo-doo in Catholicism, well, right? It's not that it can't be forgiven. Okay. But it's mortal, right? It's a mortal wound to your soul that you have, that you have to be absolved of in a formal way. Oh, is that the difference with yeah. a formal way versus uh Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't use the word formal like okay. that, but uh, it's a, I'm using it in a theological sense. But yeah, no, I mean, that's what confession is for. It's a sacrament. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. Well, I, I definitely agree with you on the habit business. I mean, I think 
let's just say that wasn't there. And so we're like on this, well, every day you should just be thinking about God. But inevitably, mm -hmm. we have routines and we have things that we do to, sure. to live life and whatnot. And so I think God is saying here, you know, at a minimum, make sure that this one day is set aside to sure. be holy. So right. <laughs> I'd like to pull it up. I, I didn't Google it, but of where, where it is in Scripture um, exactly with the commandments, but I've got remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So, mm -hmm. you know, drilling down into the minutia that we're doing, I'd, I'd like to see scripturally how much of that is actually said there. Like, don't work, don't, you know, whatever. I, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, so third, good thing. Maybe in part two yeah. here, a second half, we'll, we'll, we'll dig that up a little bit more. But yeah. my point is that, that that's left up for interpretation and maybe why we see different uh so then, so then another another sort of fundamental question that can always be asked in these discussions between russ and i which is okay if there's a judgment call to be made who has the authority right. to make that judgment call right. <laughs> but, but uh but yeah I, I i think it's i think it's an interesting example of like you're saying this this divorce between sort of an ideal that we could certainly set up and the modern the modern world right and so i think i think what's really interesting is there's a great book by a guy named Tom Woods, who's a PhD historian from, uh, he has a PhD at uh, some fancy school like Harvard or whatever, but he wrote a book called how the Catholic church built Western civilization. And, uh, so very, you know, he's very, uh, very subtle with his titles, but, <laughs> but he, uh, he has a chapter in there about the monks, about what, you know, monasteries in the Western world did during the medieval era, you know, mm -hmm. from 500 to 1500 yeah. or whatever. You know the concept of fertilizer. Yeah, you know, I've read some like of that. that stuff, or at least in excerpts and other stuff. It's very sure. impressive. I mean, yeah, and I, and I think what's really interesting is that in the you know especially the Benedictine monks, you know their their motto is prayer and work. And I think what's interesting about them is we get from them a very good example of how we should live our lives as you know normal people, right? And so they they live this sort of ideal form of it, right, where they're not they're 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 not tied down by many of this sort of um, physical concerns we all have, right? Like we have children to deal with. We have to maintain a home. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to worry about paying bills, right? And monks are just supposed to live very poorly and, and, and show us what, you know, a life completely dedicated to prayer and work can look like. And so I think it's up to us to just figure out how to apply that to, you know, our specific circumstances. It's tough to like, it's, it's not the ideal in the sense of that it applies universally, though, because if everybody did what the monks did, we'd quit having babies, right? Well, but that, so, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, saying, that's just though. one small yeah, point. Yeah. You used to see what I'm saying? But I, I totally get you because on the, the, that's what made the monks so successful is that they lived low and they actually found very profitable opportunities. And since they weren't spending it on themselves, they reinvested it into yeah, new absolutely. land, yeah. new capital, and, and other things that made it very prosperous. Right, but I got rolled in. I guess what I'm saying is when I say ideal, I mean sort of like a, the, the concept of like a platonic ideal, right? It's like this, this is what life without all the concerns we actually have to deal with would look like. But, but we do have those concerns. Yeah. And so we have to figure out how to apply their, their, their form of it to, to our particular circumstances. Yeah. So... Well, I wanted to bring this back to the, uh, the cultural mandate concept that we've talked about in previous podcasts from How Then Should We Work by Hugh Welchel is one place where I've seen it. But in general, Genesis 128, which is how we wrap up each podcast of Be Fruitful and Multiply, um, is one of the areas uh, that we are called to work. 
And so what I started thinking as we've been talking through this is that in Genesis, this was pre-fall, right? So God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground, Genesis 1.28. And then we have the fall, and so everything gets corrupted by sin, and then ultimately the Ten Commandments come in. So my point with that is that as a way for us to deal in part with sin, God has this plan of, hey, once a week, please just read some of this stuff and listen to, <laughs> listen to some other people to try to remember me. I know you're going to be busy uh, helping fulfill the rest of the plan. But I also know that sin permeates your life, and it's, it, it, you're not going to be able to overcome sin without Christ. And so as part of my game plan for you, as part of my playbook, honor your father and mother, put the Lord God above you, don't kill people, and <laughs> you know, have a carve out a Sabbath day for me, right? So he has this kind of playbook to help deal with sin and help shape the world um, that ultimately led into law and otherwise. And then Hugh goes further on to say that uh, many of these theologians say the, the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28, of uh, go and make disciples of all nations is a uh, continuation of that cultural mandate that we are supposed to go out and do things. And so I think some of these, this idea of being a hermit on Sunday and not doing anything is maybe a little too much of a push in my opinion. Like I, I'd like to think we can go mow the lawn for the neighbor and do a little gardening. And as long as we've carved out part of our day to be in scripture, whether that's attending church and service and being with other people and maybe doing some on our own, uh, but keeping that Sabbath day holy. Yeah. I just think there's, there's so many things that go into this basic conception here and maybe we'll um, kind of leave this short, but I just want to say, you know, one thing is, I agree that, you know, there's this, there has to be this sort of bare minimum kind of concept. And I think that actually plays into the moral versus menial distinction very well. You know, so you're not, if you're not at least doing the minimum, that's when you get really, you go really too far. But, you know, I do want to note that, you know, we also have the Beatitudes, right? We also have these sort of higher uh, things that we're supposed to strive to. Um, and, and as, uh, yeah, I've got a different take on the Beatitudes too, that we'll, we'll come back after the break, but you finish up yeah. with what you're saying there. So the Beatitudes, that'll be one thing we'll, we'll come back to after the break, but go ahead. What do you, what do you yeah. got there on your little iPhone? So it says in first Thessalonians five seventeen, we're admonished to sort of pray without ceasing. Right. And it yeah. doesn't mean like literally nonstop, but it just means constantly recurring, right. In a, in a recurring fashion. And so it's just one of those things where, again, I, using hermit as a derogatory term, you know, fine. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the modern <laughs> world uh, that we're forced to deal with. But I, I just think, again, it's great to have these people because we have this example of someone who does pray without ceasing, you know, someone who does, you know, the, the monasteries, you know, they pray every three hours, you know, for a, a significant period of time. Again, in our busy lives, you know, we have to go somewhere between that and the bare minimum, but I don't think the bare minimum is just always acceptable. So, uh, but anyway, I think in the second half, just to, to preface that besides the, the Beatitudes issue that Russ wants to uh, raise, but I think also we want to get into talking about 
Uh, so the more the, the the economics part of this and talking about businesses and, and sort of financial concerns and yeah, we got to get Jason in here and definitely get Jason to talk a little bit more on, on this. So yeah. yeah, well, that looks like a good spot, spot for break. website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop that has brand new items and designs. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gorton Institute for updates on our activities and research. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. So we're back. Uh, found and did a little digging and uh, found out uh, Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 have some words for us on the Sabbath day business that we ought to look at a little closer. So remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's kind of where we left off earlier. But then it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed that the blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. <laughs> Wow. So there you go. Pretty unequivocal. Maybe the doing nothing is, is there. Now my only pushback to that is like, this is old Testament, man. Right. So Christ comes now we can eat bacon. We can do all kinds of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think Jesus somewhere along the lines supported the 10 commandments still though, I think so. Yeah, and so I mean, it's, I think we're probably still hosed on that. Uh, if we can try to weasel our way into work, but, <laughs> so yeah. well, and and to an extent, right? I mean, that's there is some of that in in that uh, talk that that I'm going to link to in in that video. There, you're allowed to travel. I mean, this is the thing, right? Orthodox Jews today are not allowed to travel. They're not allowed to do like hardly anything on sa- on Saturdays. They're not even really supposed to use the phone. They're not. I mean, none of that stuff. Right. You know, what, well, yeah, even, they're big on the Old Testament. They're stuck with it. So right. <laughs> so even so, I guess what I'm saying is they I can't even, do bacon either. Even even the stuff that I'm that, 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 that I'm bringing up from this video is stuff that we are allowed to do that they wouldn't. Yeah. You know. So I think. Even, well, you know. Okay. So that. I would come back from my Lutheran angle once again and say, well, this is just another example of something you can't keep. Right. The whole purpose of the law is to condemn you and say, you need Christ. So we, we look at that like, Oh, you can't work. What do you mean? I can't work. Well, is, is, uh, 
gardening work? Yeah, well, I, I like doing that. And so is walking over to the, to the neighbor to talk to them work? Well, there's effort. Maybe that's kind of work. My point with all that is that uh, the Lutheran perspective is that all of the law parts, anywhere it says do this or do that or something or this is the way things should be, is to show how much sin you actually do have in your life and that it is impossible for you to keep the law. And so it's meant to condemn you so that you turn your, your eyes to, to Christ and look for that salvation that you need uh, through Christ and Christ alone. And I, I would agree with all of that in a sense, but you know, you, I think that the other thing is that you're going to bring back them, but you have to try, Russ. but you, you have to, you have to, you have to participate in the, your own salvation. You have to run the race with uh, perseverance, right? Isn't that what St. Paul said? Uh, yeah. Something I think like we that. probably differ on something like that. Too. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> but so when we were preparing for this, Jason mentioned a couple of businesses that she knew about that um, are not open on Sundays and, and that sort of to one degree or another kind of follow this uh, line of thinking. So what did you have in mind, Jason? So a couple companies that are closed on Sunday are Chick-fil-A, which you mentioned, Levi, and then Hobby Lobby are both closed on Sunday. And I know there's always that question, like, you brought up with the farmers about whether or not they're missing out on a key opportunity there by choosing to take that day off, but mm -hmm. they're upholding their, their roots and their values, even through their company, not even like more than just their personal lives, but through their company as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know, and that actually makes me think of something really interesting with Chick-fil-A. So I lived in Georgia for two years, right? The, the capital of chicken for uh, the entire United States. And um, one of my fellow professors there uh, who had been at Georgia for, he's been there for, I don't know, 25 years. He was saying that uh, he does a lot of, he does a lot of research with restaurants. And he said that Chick-fil-A, even though they're only open from like, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning till 10 PM uh -huh. at night. And they're only open six days a week. They make more money per store than McDonald's does, which is close. Like what? Maybe 12 hours a year. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of a funny thing where like they, they just, their business model is just different, you know, and they've, they've sort of, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I guess, based on. Of, I, my theory on that, part of that, that allows that to happen, which it, it might be a little nugget for other companies too, Christian or otherwise for that matter, is that because other stores are open, it allows the consumer to substitute. They know that mm. Sunday is McDonald's day, right? And so. <laughs> They're actually just substituting across time and space of, okay, Saturday's my Chick-fil-A day, Sunday's my McDonald's day, right? Mm -hmm. And so if all businesses were closed, that would be different and it might actually keep things down because they're what, they can't just have that be their Chick-fil-A day, but now there's competition for Chick-fil-A on the six days of the week because everybody's on equal ground, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. that, that they'd be competing on the, on the six-day time frame. Um, I, I also think it's kind of interesting it does seem to me more clear cut in a way, um, although it's not perfect, but that a business that's a for-profit business be closed on Sunday seems a lot closer to the, uh, maybe the nature of the commandment than not gardening on <laughs> Sunday. Right. But, that, right. but that gets to the, so that sort of gets to the pay versus not paid distinction. 
yeah, uh, the, 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 the yeah. video tries to get into. Yeah, yeah the pay helps show the ones that are yeah. probably more likely, I guess. But well, I think I think the thing is with that. I mean, just my own reaction to that is, are I you think contributing to GDP or not? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, I think, and I think that's actually that's actually actually kind of what I was going to bring up is is it that's that's very much commentary that's based on distinctions we have today that we did not have for the bulk of human history. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, for the bulk of human history, yeah. you know, you, you live based on just the stuff that you, yeah. you and so gardening wasn't gardening for pretty. Right. It was gardening to eat. your sustenance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's a good point. It was totally different. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's sort of one of these things where it's Most like in, in some ways it just doesn't, doesn't really matter. You know, you just, you have, you know, you have this, this ban on physical labor and so that's what you do, right? And and so it's, I, I think what's what's really nice about that is it sort of takes us out of our own modern context a little bit and allows us to kind of see human history a little bit more broadly. I, I, I just I've really loved reading. I read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Discarded Image, and it was just super interesting because he's just talking about you know how did people think about the world in, you know, from the year 500 to the year 1200, mm -hmm. you know, what was, what was, what was your life like back then? Um, and, and how, you know, how did philosophers work back then? Boethius and big time people back then, you know, people don't even know about it anymore, but is it, I just think it was well, interesting. That, related to that. Uh, I don't know if somebody brought this up recently on insurance. So they didn't have insurance back then. So right. how did you insure yourself? Well, when your neighbor needed help, mm -hmm. you went and helped them not always out of pure altruism, but that's sure. just the system of insurance, sure. right? That's right. what helped uh, helped you when you found your time of need that would inevitably come, not knowing when it's going to come, but that right. sense of community was important from an insurance perspective. And so that, and you know, that, that, that has been something I've been thinking about a lot lately too is, okay, so we bring in insurance. And so now we, we take something that used to be part of, our, 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 our relationships with other people, mm -hmm. right? And we move it into the transactional world, yeah. right? And I think this fits in with our humanomics discussions too, right? It, it goes from a, a personal thing to a, to a non-personal thing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think sometimes government policies do the same thing, right? We have um, like social security, right? It detaches you from your previous generation because you're like, well, you know, grandma and grandpa are set now. Yeah. You know, they got social security, so I don't need to worry about them. So I don't know. So maybe it's one of these things where, yeah, we would have a sacrifice on GDP. Yeah, we'd have a sacrifice on income per capita and all that sort of thing. But maybe there would be some kind of a trade-off that would actually benefit us, right? Because you look at these companies that Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A in particular, now they aren't, they aren't raked over the coals in popular culture because they're closed on Sundays, but it's sort of part of their conviction, right? It's part of their sort of religious convictions that they do get raked over the coals for. You know, as you were saying that, I think the down and out people or the people that uh, might need the money have extra jobs potentially available to them on Sunday because mm -hmm. the higher income people get to afford to take leisure on Sunday. So having a law that says no work on Sunday mm -hmm. might kind of disproportionately hurt those in need more mm -hmm. than the affluent. The so affluent always yeah. can kind of yeah, you know, yeah. find ways away. But oh, it, sure. that's kind of an interesting thing to think about on that yeah. regard, too. I think that's a great point. And I think I think one way to respond to that is, you know, if we're if this if if a policy like no work on Sundays 
would be a transfer of wealth from the, from the wealthy to the less wealthy, maybe we should find other ways to compensate for that, that transfer wealth from the less wealthy to the wealthier. Yeah. <laughs> or sorry, I mean the other way around. But the, but the pie yeah. shrank too, because you're, by spreading it out, you've sure. probably got those costs of right. being open on Sunday spread among all the little bit lower yep. prices because people are able but to be more productive that's what I love. days a week rather than six. And that's what I love about this podcast because we're not just about the size of the pie. We're also about how much, how much should we care about how good that pie tastes right. <laughs> or how big right. it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, wa- I had to bring back up to the nor any foreigner residing in your mm. towns. That is cl- this close to being a, a statement from God on how, what city policy should look like right. or state yeah. policy. That's a because great point. I mean, it's pretty insightful on it. You shall not do any work, neither you nor, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. In other words, no business, like you should have a policy in your town mm-hmm. that says nobody does business on Sunday. Yeah. We're so far from that, that yeah. obviously it, I, I, uh, it's hard for me to even normatively say that, oh, yeah, well, that's the way it should. But it's fun. It is fun to think about whether what because I thought about this long before even being thinking about uh, podcast ideas is like, well, if, if everybody did it six days a week, then we're maintaining competition because nobody can do it. Mm-hmm. Probably oh, what would happen, yeah. though, is that you're again creating a black market. Right. Mm-hmm. So people are going to illegally work. Well, that's just those Christians that say we can't work. Mm. Come on, Billy Joe, Jim Bob, let's go out in the forest. Nobody will find us here and we're going to saw these logs down, right? right? I mean, so people are going to do it anyway is the other flip side to that. Yes, um, but but people are going to do it anyway is uh, if we carry that to all laws would be mm-hmm. uh, a, yeah, a huge disaster. Yeah. So <laughs> yep, that, that interesting gray area to work with. So yeah. Okay, well, do we go to break there? Or I, I, just because we got a little bit more time, I'm throwing this Beatitudes out there because okay. I, I just want to yeah. say my piece on this, and maybe everybody's given up on this podcast by now anyway, and so it won't matter <laughs> that McCullough wants to pontificate. But So Matthew 5, Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. I'm, I'm skipping down, you know, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry. So too often, I don't know if I heard this in your voice or not, but it mm-hmm. says... I need to be that to be in good graces with God. And I don't read it that way at all. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The reason they're blessed, it was God just making a statement of fact. Like when your loved one dies, it makes you start to think about God. And so you might look to God. You might be a little closer to God. And so in a sense, you're blessed because if you find, if you're lucky enough to find God and find Christ through these trial and tribulations that you have in your life, aren't you truly blessed? So I think it's more of a statement of fact that um, those people are blessed in that sense that it's easier to find God when we're all, you know, bathing in hundred dollar bills and uh, life is going good and everything's a vacation. It's pretty easy to distance yourself from God. It's when we hit these trials and tribulations um, and people who are doing those work that you, you start to see that, wow, I really need God. Yeah, I mean, p- potentially, but I think, I think some of them don't necessarily fit that mold. Like, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? So, I mean, poverty of spirit is something that you have to, 
to cultivate, right? You have to intentionally um, reduce the, the value you put on physical things. So, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, and meekness too. I mean, that's, you know, but, you know, we, we call them virtues, right, for, for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, so I, I'm, that's the only really Yeah, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed yeah. are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For right, so in some cases, of heaven, right, right, so, so. In some of them it's, it's enduring, it's yeah. enduring, you know, something negative. Sometimes it's cultivating something good, yeah. And then the final, uh, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right. So Rejoice in some cases and be it's... glad because your reward in heaven is great. Right. Or in the same way they persecuted the prophets uh, who were before you. So, right. which is which? I think that last one is a case of, you know, it's something happening to you, right? But I think we maybe have all all those different categories. In it. Yeah. All right. Well, that looks like a good final word there that I got in on those Beatitudes. It was somewhat unrelated, I think, to most of what we talked about. But nonetheless, I think we uh, we made some ground, and I appreciate you all for listening. And if you're so inclined, you can check out the Gorton Institute webpage. we got some new things there. Jason mentioned the swag shop, and uh, there's also a little uh, donate button as well. So uh, otherwise, appreciate y'all listening and be fruitful, multiply. Thanks.